the housing market's just crazy. Who would have thought in Clarksville, Arkansas, you put a home on, on the market and it sells for $50,000 more in the asking price the day you put it on the market. And I think having connectivity with the rest of the world at, at high speeds is making a difference. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today, I'm speaking with John Lester, someone who's been on the show multiple times, uh, the general manager from Clarksville Connected Utilities. Welcome back. Thank you very much. It's always an honor to uh, be on your podcast. There's, uh, there's many... There's many Clarksvilles, and this is the one in Northwest Arkansas. It's the most beautiful one, I'm sure, with the best people, right? Oh, absolutely. We're right here on the foothills of the Ozark Mountains, and uh, there's plenty of outdoor recreation to do, and and we're right on I-40 too, so you can get in and out pretty quick. Yeah, I seem to recall you had a you uh, when we talked in the previous episode. You talked about a billboard you put up about your internet service. Is that right? We did. We put up a billboard on I-40 and we said we were the first two gig city. Excellent. You are, well, let's just start with that. How big is Clarksville? Okay. Clarksville is a population of about 10,000. So again, in the, in the Northwest corner of the state, you know, pretty rural. And you have a municipal utility that used to be uh, Clarksville light and water, but then you added fiber and, and what'd you get? What, what we did was uh, we wanted to, we, we feel like we've done some innovative things. And so we, for example, uh, we have two solar power plants and we have enough uh, solar power that we can say we're the first city in Arkansas whose municipal needs are met 100% with renewable solar power. And of course, we, we built the fiber network. So we felt like we were forward leaning and, and wanted to kind of rebrand ourselves. So we changed it from Clarksville Light and Water to Clarksville Connected. So I, I think it tells a different message. Excellent. And uh, you started off, I think, a, a bit incrementally, right? But you have since uh, fanned out across the entire city. Yes, absolutely. We really started years ago uh, building a core network. And the primary reason for uh, was to provide SCADA services. In other words, the Internet of Things for utilities so we could touch and feel and monitor and manage our utility infrastructure. And it just made sense at the time to build plenty of extra capacity, knowing that there are other services you could deliver over it. And so we migrated from, you know, building that core to starting to light up anchor institutions. At this point in time, uh, pretty much all of the local anchor institutions are on our network in some fashion. That'd be the, the library, the hospital, the city. We have a University of the Ozarks, which is a liberal arts college here in town. They're on the network in our school district. Uh, and then beyond that is, okay, what else could we do to serve the community? So we did our research and, and homework and business case related to fiber to the home. And uh, it all looked good. So we, we ended up being the first city in Arkansas that, that issued uh, bonds to build out a network. In fact, um, you know, historically, uh, Arkansas has had its share of um, laws that prohibited municipals from doing this. Uh, municipal electrics had the ability to do that. But there was still uncertainty about even if municipal electrics had build and provide the network where they could issue debt for it. So we were the first one to kind of break that ice, issued the debt in early 2019, and we started construction in October of 2019. We did a project that we thought was going to take three or four years, and our entire distribution system, you know, and we've got about 4,500 customers or meters our entire distribution system was built out in a year. We started in October of 19 and it was built out by October of 2020. And we did more of a design build 
process that I think expedited it. And we created, uh, I think, pretty valuable partnerships. For example, we used uh, Graybar for most of our equipment, the outside plant equipment, and we leveraged their uh, national uh, procurement program. Uh, that way we could sole source from one, one supplier. I think that ex expedited it a lot. And, you know, in today's world of supply chain issues, they kind of managed all that for us. Yeah, I was thinking that your timing was really spot on. I mean, to to have uh, finished that project early, right in time for uh, a time when a lot of people would need it in their homes, and to to now be in a position where you're not trying to procure a whole lot of uh, material, that's pretty nice. Yeah, well, the good news is uh, that supply chains weren't nearly as uh, a much of a problem then, but we didn't get all the opera money. You know, we had to issue debt sure. for it. That's that's the downside. But we had the distribution system done, and we already had enough orders that. We had uh, over a thousand drops done in the first year. Uh, and we're at the point now where we've got, we have uh, totally installed 1600 locations out of about 4,300, 4,500 meters. So that would be what, 37% of the drops, the potential drops are, are done. And of course there's always gonna be a little turnover, but we are actively billing 33% of our customers after what, two years of being able to do drops. And I think that's pretty incredible. Yes, that's definitely the path to success. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, is it is it challenging? Uh, one of the things that we hear is that the kind of economies of scale that make it, you know, it's never easy, uh, obviously, but that make it a little bit less difficult, uh, kick in kind of, you know, around 4,000, 5,000 subs. And, you know, if you get the entire town, you're still just going to be scratching up against that. I think the economics work better than they did five years ago. We thought that our business case would work at about a 20% take rate. Um, we planned on at the end of year three or four, uh, 30%. And we think that a 50% take rate against our 4,500, 4,300 customers is going to be, you know, pretty good. I wouldn't be surprised if we get up to 70 eventually. That is something that we see. And in particularly, I mean, the, the kind of demographics that you have in a region like that, people are really going to value that local service. Um, mm -hmm. You know, unless unless you do something really dumb, uh, you know, what we see is people only disconnect if they go toes up or they leave town, right? So, um, Well, yeah. In fact, uh, of our customers who have disconnected the 180, most of them have just moved. Right. And one thing that we know we need to get better at is recognizing those homes that we've already connected when the people move, we're ready for that next person to come in. And we do that, you know, as municipal utilities, we're not good cross sellers. Yeah. Uh, we need to recognize that opportunity and say, Hey, we're already at your house. You know, we're just going to almost assume the sale, but we'll, we'll get better at that. You know, we're rural Arkansas. And so uh, you could consider our community economically challenged when you look at the number of kids or families that have free and reduced lunches at school. But Here's the interesting thing is our business case, we anticipated that our slowest package, the 100 symmetrical package would be the highest, uh, would be about a 65% rate. And the gig package uh, of the four packages would only be about 5%. Mm -hmm. When we've taken out the special network that we did just for the uh, uh, housing authority, because they have a special network, 41% ordered the 100 package and we're at 23% for the gig package. Wow. That is interesting. That is definitely a switch from several years ago. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of blows my mind that, we see that we see that with the electric co-ops too. In many cases, I, I feel like. Uh, can you tell us what are the what is, what do you charge for those different price points? It's about forty five dollars for the the one hundred meg package, and it goes up to ninety dollars for the gig. 
Right. So, you know, it's a reasonable price for a gig. I, I pay more than that for my supposed gig from Comcast. So, uh, right. you know. <laughs> well, and, you know, if you're a homeowner and you're doing the economics, okay, I can cut the cord. And now I'm not paying the big cable bill and I can get, you know, smarter in what I stream and you end up having net savings. Yeah. I feel like it's also the case that if you like the people you're doing business with, you're more willing to give them a little bit more money. Like when they know that there's not like they're going to get a letter from you in 12 months that says, Hey, we just added 5% onto your bill because we can, you know, <laughs> they're more like, <laughs> yeah, oh, 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 my service went out. So I'll be on hold for four hours. In four hours, they can walk down and, and, and uh, you know, get your attention. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll see us at Walmart or they'll walk through the door. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely. It, it's almost amazing. We get quicker responses on uh, internet outages and sometimes we do electric outages now. Wow. Yeah. Facebook lights up pretty fast. That's for sure. My, um, uh, one, someone I do a, a different show with, uh, connect this show, uh, with, uh, Travis, a local fiber ISP. He talks about how it, 10 years ago, if like there was a, you know, the, the network go down for 10 minutes, you know, no one would really notice it. They'd be doing their email. They do something else. They'd be like, Oh, like they just, you know, now if it goes down for 10 seconds, people are, people are checking in already. Oh yeah. 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 One of the things we're getting ready to do this summer, I mentioned that we've connected the, all the anchor institutions. The school district has its own dedicated pair in our ring, our 288-core ring. And they're going to upgrade uh, their transport between their buildings on our network from 40 gigs to 100 gigs Wow! this summer. So they're, they're really going to be screaming for sure. And that, that's going to be a fun, fun project. I'm curious. I mean, I, that school district can't be that large, uh, given the. Is it is it because like they're moving around a ton of video? Like I feel like schools do a lot of surveillance video now, and they really need to keep track of that for any sort of incidents. At least that's what I hear from some cities. Well, I, I think they're doing more and more surveillance video, but I think they're doing a lot of uh, online education video, YouTube videos, and, and things of that sort. And pretty much every student in Clarksville is connected in that network in some fashion with an iPad or, you know, type of laptop. So they, they've really done a pretty good job of, you know, moving towards technology. So there's, there's a pretty big demand. Yeah, for sure. I believe it. The, um, it was just, it was something that definitely caught, caught up with me just cause I think you always wonder how it is. I have, my son is, uh, is six and he is uh, just, we're just getting into the school system. You know, he's in kindergarten this year. And mm-hmm. I just remember someone said something that I probably never forget, which was that the situation is now that if there's an altercation between a student and a teacher in that district, so the first thing the parents always say is show me the video. <laughs> they want to see the video before <laughs> they... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So you mentioned a low income uh, uh, network with uh, the housing uh, folks. Uh, What's going on there? Well, what happened was when the first uh, tranche of dollars came down related to COVID, um, I can't, the CARES Act, I think maybe was was the first uh, uh, term that they used. HUD spread out some money related to the housing authorities. And what they wanted to do is, really do something that would be long-term impactful with some of their dollars. So they gave us a call and said, hey, can we figure out a way to work together and we can get connectivity to our um, you know, dwelling units at some type of reasonable price? So what we ended up doing is taking some of their CARES Act money and essentially prepaying us building out a network that's dedicated to their 173 uh, dwelling units. So being able to have those funds up front reduced what that 100 meg per customer cost was going to be by about $15 a month. And in return, they agreed to basically pay for those internet services for all the residents. So we think that we addressed uh, some of the economically challenged areas 
in a in a logical way with funds that were a good use for those funds. And are these uh, primarily MDU uh, multifamily situations or were they some single family homes as well? Most MDUs, but they had three different locations. So spread out around the community. So we built networks with spokes to each one of those, uh, those units. And then did you connect the individual units directly then for each one? Yes, we did. That's wonderful because we're I, I keep watching is and I think you know there's there's defensible reasons for why some people do it but I'm deeply concerned about the Wi-Fi in the hallways and its ability to solve this issue long term. Yeah, no, every customer has its own router gateway in their dwelling unit, so it's all separated out. The one of the challenges that uh, we've heard about that is just um, the turnover can be such and people are uh, the, what, the thing we've heard is that ISPs will be with talking with the housing unit folks to say, all right, who's managing the gear that's there in the unit to make sure people know uh, whether to leave it behind if they're moving on or, or something else. How, how do you handle that to avoid it bogging you down too much? Well, in this particular case, uh, the, the units aren't really big in size, so that gateway covers pretty decent uh square footage in that unit, but uh, we literally put it behind uh, a, a clear locked-in case so we know it's going to stay. So, sure. I mean, they, they have to make a special effort to take it with them. Right. Well, I feel like that's the thing, right? Is that like, it's not like these things have a value if someone had a nefarious interest, but like, it's just confusion of like, I don't know if I take this thing with me or not. I'm, do I need it right. to have internet at the next place I go? So, Right, right. So th that's why we put it behind a clear locked case. I mean, it's, it's obvious that it's in there, but uh, you know, you're going to have to pry it open and take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it prevents them from putting it into a lead lined uh, closet and then complaining their Wi-Fi doesn't work very well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, how are things going in terms of, of economic development? I, I think one of the things that we talked about before is that you've been seeing a good influx of growth because you have a, a pretty low cost of living in a pretty beautiful area. COVID's changed everything for all of us. Okay. Uh, I think we've had a significant number of people moving from metropolitan areas, uh, California, Illinois. I mean, some of the uh, response for people getting into a, a more rural, simple life uh, is real. The housing market's just crazy. Who would have thought in Clarksville, Arkansas, um, you put a home on, on the market and it sells for $50,000 more in the asking price the day you put it on the market. I mean, that, that would have been inconceivable two years ago. And it's just the pressure of people relocating here. And I, and I think um, having connectivity with the rest of the world at, at high speeds is making a difference. When I assume that that kind of area, you're having greenfields and uh, new developments coming in. Um, do you put in the infrastructure yourself? Do you require the developers to do that? How do you handle that? If the developer is going to be putting in a subdivision, we would require them to do it. Um, you know, we would have them put in all the conduit, just like we would for electric or water and everything, and then turn it over to us. We, they would do it at our specs. But if it's an individual home here and there, we typically just do it and not necessarily charge it. We'll have a water tap fee or sewer fee electric and fiber it's just included we made a big deal we were really excited when the arkansas legislature decided on a unanimous basis you, you noted that they changed the law i mean it's it was really quite remarkable i mean it's and maybe you can i don't know how closely you follow the legislature but it seemed like it was like two years before i remember it was uh, a senator um uh i remember her first name brianne i think she's a state senator and she's in russellville which is maybe 15 minutes to the east brianna davis 
That's right, Davis. And uh, so she and the Republican Women's Senate Caucus, I believe, really advanced this thing. They were looking around and said, wow, like we're trying to drive people online for for uh, Medicaid. We're doing this different stuff. And there's all these people, there's entire counties where people basically don't have service. And yep. and they pushed through. And it felt like the industry kind of hijacked that bill and they modified it so that you could do, if you got a grant, then cities would have some more authority. And right. and that was still, it was still pretty cool to see some progress in terms of giving cities more authority but then i think it was two years later uh they came forward again and they just got rid of almost all the restrictions and did it without a single dissenting vote that was really remarkable it was stunning and and i just think it's because so many people have called and questioned for so long the lack of service and the lack of response from the incumbents that even the legislators were fed up they, they just said, you know, this needs to be done. We don't care how it's getting done. So it, it was a great thing. So has that um, changed any thoughts that you have? I mean, are you getting more phone calls from other cities that are saying, hey, we have this authority. We're not really sure if we want to do anything, but like someone's got to do something. Uh, I know a number of discussions have been had at the municipal league level. Uh, I've gotten a few calls, a few tours. Where it's changed it for us is, uh, plus the ARPA funds coming down, uh, is the ability to partner with some of the cities around us um, and then build outside in the county area that may not be served by us electrically. It might be served by an investor owned utility that has no intention of building a fiber network to them. So that's where we're starting to look at ARPA money and some of the state grant programs. They're supposed to get another tranche of the um, ARPA money this summer at the state level. And uh, we intend to put in some applications for grant money to build out to a couple towns around us and in the rural area behind around us as well. Well, that's interesting that you have particularly investor-owned utilities around you because I know there's a lot of electric co-ops in Arkansas, and many of them are doing really good work to get folks connected. We have an electric uh, co-op that has started a for-profit division called Wave Rural Connect. They're on the northern part of the county, but there's an investor-owned utility on the southern part of the county. So, and us kind of sitting in the middle. So it doesn't make sense to duplicate services and compete. So we're just looking at the OG&E area. Sure. And uh, is there any, I feel like the, the biggest challenge that obviously from your perspective, it's um, it's as long as you can keep the risk low, particularly with those grant funds, it's right. really great because then you're spreading those fixed costs more widely and, and everyone in the community benefits, the region benefits. Um, Absolutely. But sometimes there's politics that creep into it. <laughs> oh, never, never, never. But yes. Um, I, I think that there's some definitely economies of scale because we've already built the, the fundamental pieces to, to drive a network. One of the things that I'm seriously looking at is uh, – what would some of these communities have done a hundred years ago if they created their own electric utility? You know, this is the exact same thought process. Uh, so what we might consider is working with the other communities and say, Hey, after a certain period of time, maybe you could buy and own this infrastructure yourself. So, so now you've got another revenue source that you don't have to rely on sales tax or property taxes for uh, just like you would have an electric utility. So, and, and there's ways, I mean, if they're smaller and they don't feel like they've got the IT capability, uh, they can still own the outside plant and then we might be able to provide the services over it. So there's a lot of different options. We just need to get even small communities to really understand that there is no box anymore. It's not think outside the box. It's there is no box. <laughs> 
Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that those conversations are happening because uh, you know we view this as a, a major opportunity to permanently solve the problem, kind of like you said. I mean, it would have been pretty frustrating if we um, didn't connect everyone to electricity. <laughs> Imagine that. So, and you know, once the fiber's in, it's just a matter of swapping out the electronics and, and doing the right upgrades because you know it doesn't have the same limitations as some of the other technology. We're seriously concerned. We, when we built the network, we built it ready for XGS pulling. So that 10 gig service. So uh, it's just a matter of time before we decide to migrate up to that next speed. Are you, so you're using GPON currently? We are using GPON currently, yes. And you're able to, uh, to do some interesting, I don't know what electronics you're using, but um, I mean, to be offered two gigabit speeds, uh, typically it would require, uh, just so people have a sense, you've got what, 32 customers, well, probably like 29, 30 customers on a, a split. Yeah, we've got uh, 14 different pawn cabinets, which are basically like substations. And uh, each splitter is, it's a one by 32 split. And so they're sharing 2.5 giga, gigabits. So then you're basically able to um, have, if, if one person's just really trying to scream, then as long as other folks aren't doing it at the same time, then they'll get that. Right. And when we were doing the uh, the quality control, we need to make we wanted to make sure that we have the wavelengths tight enough that it would be able to meet that that speed. So, you know, we've done all the, the things that we think we need to do in order to we won't have to forklift it in order to go to a higher speed. So the last question that I think is, is the sense of, I'm, I'm always curious, you know, what's, what are some of the fun uh, stories or, you know, if you have any horror stories, I'm, those are, people love those too, but, but also get, you know, people stop you in the grocery store or, or stop you at the post office to, to just like tell you something interesting they're doing with the network or how excited they are to have it. One consistent thing is when can I have it? I want it today. You know, it's just the, the managing the expectations uh, as you're building this thing out. Some of the cool things that have happened with it is we have a customer here that is renting in a, in a business district, and he literally flies a drone that does electric pole inspections in California. <laughs> so, you know, that's a pretty cool thing. Most of the customers, I think that they are, they're really pleased with the service. You can't make everybody happy, but I think they're very pleased with the service, um, you know, to, to turned up and have actively billing 33% of our customer base in you know, two years is pretty incredible. And um, I, I just have had nothing but positive, more or less. When people when people ask you when they can have it, is that because there's a, a waiting list that you're working your way through or what's the reason? Yes. I mean, when we first started doing the drops, we had a huge waiting list and it's just you know, for the most part, it's, we live in an inpatient society. We all want it today mm -hmm. and it can't happen that fast. If you want to do a good job, I'm guessing your techs can do like two or three a day on average, right? To yeah, they're doing three or four a day. Okay. And, and, you know, because of the world we live in today, we always send two techs. So we're not just doing one because, you know, there's liability and concerns there and safety concerns. So yeah, it, we can do three or four a day and it takes a while. So we've, um, I think it's really helped to build some of the partnerships that we have. Uh, we've got uh, a, a local entity that's done some of our sub outside plant work and they've done some of our drop work and you know the partnership with Graybar. I mean, it's, it's great not to have to worry about all those little piece parts for the year. I mean, every week we'd have a meeting and we'd say, what do we need? And they'd go and get it. And, and they actually had um, 
small trailers where they inventoried the material right here in town. So we were checking in and out and, and we didn't get delayed by any material. I, I know that's not the world we live in today, but that's the way it was then. That's how we did it so fast. Well, I, I hope that you'll be able to continue that as you work with your neighbors <laughs> to expand and you don't just get yourself a big old headache as you're trying to help others. Well, using the community, uh, I think it's called Omnia program. It gets you out of, you know, having to bid every single component. Having it there when you need it is way cheaper, even if you might pay a little bit more per unit than not having it there and tell the contractors, well, we don't have anything for you to do today because you're still going to get billed for it. Yep. And I think, I feel like that's, that's the part where I, I can't stress enough for people who are looking at this and wondering why the cost can be high. Uh, the, you know, on issues of permitting, which I'm going to guess you have a, a really good relationship and you don't have to wait for anyone. If you want to get on polls, you know who to talk to because they're yours, I'm guessing for the most part. Yeah, I look at, we look at the mirror. Right. But even I mean, you have to work through the city for the permitting and anyone who's working with a city like cities should know that like it matters less whether it takes two weeks or six weeks. It's consistency that really matters. Yes. Yes, exactly. But it's crazy enough that we we are down literally to 50 in-home gateway units and, and, you know, the supply chain issue with the chip that goes in the unit is serious. And we're trying to figure out we, you know, we want to keep the orders rolling we, we'd love to do a promotion, but we're afraid that we'll have enough orders and we won't be able to fill them. Right. You get, you get two neighbors and you ask them to share <laughs> just, <laughs> for, just for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll work. <laughs> Is there anything else I should ask you about? Not, not that I think so. I mean, it, it's been exciting. It's been, uh, you know, you want to pull your hair out once in a while, but um, you want to do your homework to make sure the business case is solid. You want to do all your research, but it really is a huge value add for your community. Cities that even don't own their electric utility really need to get serious about how do we solve this problem for our residents because the incumbents are not going to do it unless they get a lot of money to do it. They're well, not going to spend their And even in that situation, I, I do feel like they've gotten a lot of money and they ain't done it. <laughs> That's where I just Historically get really, true. I get really frustrated because I feel like because I, I see the same thing you do, whereas I'm just sort of like, well, it's not going to be efficient. And I'm like, wait a minute, like how many programs have we tried to incent them to do the right thing? And and yeah, like some people will get connected, but it's just it's not the best use of the money. So yeah. Yeah, but I well, I'll highlight what you said at the beginning there. Do your homework, take it real. You know, talk to people like John Lester and take their advice seriously. Absolutely, and I, I guess the other thing that it's kind of kind of joke. I, I think I've seen a Saturday night clip on cancel my cable. Uh, but you know, if somebody builds a network, they need to prepare their customer for how hard it's going to be to tell the incumbent disconnect me. <laughs> It's best to lie. I've, I learned this and um, it's best to say, oh, I'm moving to a place and I've already set your service up so you don't have to worry about me. I just need to dislocate, dis disconnect this location. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you once again for joining us on the show and, uh, and doing that great work. We'll be checking in as you uh, work with your neighbors. Love to do it. Enjoy doing the show. So thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, 
and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.